Take your Bibles to the book of 1 Corinthians and find your place in chapter 12. When I first started the ministry, there was a great need and necessity to give good doctrine and have good Bible studies about what we believe as God's people, Bible-believing Christians in a good local church, uh, so we wouldn't be led astray with error, and especially in the matter of all during many years ago when I started out, that was the great one of the great eras in in Christianity, and that was of the charismatic movement that was just really prevalent. It seemed like maybe that is change a little bit, at least as far as the, the, I know there's still charismatic churches out there that believe in miracle working people and uh, different methods of healing and and things of that nature and tongues and whatnot, unbiblical tongues. But, you know, usually back then it was always a, a movement of uh, emotionalism, um, usually a lot of wild music. It seems like today what we have is a lot of charismatic churches that just have not uh, gone the way of miracles and tongues, but as far as everything else, they're just a charismatic church. They got the wild music, they got the emotionalism, they just don't have the teachings of, or don't accept the teachings of some of that unbiblical uh, understanding of miracles and healing in the Bible. I think it is uh, probably worth saying that there are still independent Baptists that get deceived, and I'm not just talking about church members, but even preachers. I mean, not not very far from here, a pretty, you know, well-known independent Baptist preacher, uh, Greg Locke up the road in Nashville, used to be a very prominent speaker, and uh, he's full-blown charismatic. Of course, he also left his wife and found another one, and but sort of all that stuff goes together, I guess. And you say, why do you mention that? Well, I mention that because it happens. And I also mention that because I don't want you deceived. I don't want you led astray. And by the way, Paul dropped a lot of names when he wrote as well. He, he named people. And there are people that you need to be uh, careful about. Just because maybe they were right 20 years ago doesn't mean they're biblical today. And uh, so in a changing world, we need to be grounded well. So anyway, I, I want to go through, I want to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And usually I would do some of this stuff about uh, the charismatic movement in a, in a Bible Institute setting. But we just want to study the Bible for a little bit. I want you to be equipped to be able to give an answer of what you believe about the Bible on all of these verses. Every Christian ought to know not just what you believe, but why, and be able to explain uh, verses in the Scripture if someone would bring them up and try to twist them. Uh, we'll start in verse number 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The Bible says, For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. So he's talking about all people that have been saved by the grace of God. 
We have been baptized into the body of Christ by the Holy Ghost. And that's every one of us, every member of the body. And that's important because there are many that teach that Holy Ghost baptism is speaking in tongues or some event that occurs after your salvation when the teaching is in verse 12 and 13 that if you are in the body of Christ, if you are a part of Jesus, the Spirit of God has already baptized you. You're not waiting for something else. So Holy Ghost baptism is is the Holy Ghost of God putting us into the body of Jesus Christ. We were talking about that uh, last time. We were talking about the different baptisms that are in the Bible. And that's important in this chapter because when you look over at verse number 4, he starts talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Of course, this word gift, that's where they get the word charisma or the care from the charismatic movement the gifts of the holy ghost but there are so many of them and verse number four now there are diversities of gifts but the same spirit and there are differences of administrations but the same lord and there are diversities of operations but it is the same god which worketh all in all but the manifestation of the spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom, to another the word of knowledge, by the same Spirit to another faith, by the same Spirit to another the gifts of healing, by the same Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues, but all these Worketh that one and the selfsame spirit dividing to every man several, severally as he will. So immediately, how are you going to answer someone that asks you about these spiritual gifts? Maybe someone would come up to you and say, do you have the gifts of healing? I mean, he mentions them here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Do you have the gift of tongues? It's very interesting that when people start talking about spiritual gifts, they never make a big deal about the other ones. There's, you know, there's 20, there's like 20 different gifts of the Spirit. You can also go to Romans 14 and gives a, a, a Romans 12 and it gives a whole list of, of gifts of the Spirit. But I've never heard anybody try to want to emphasize the gifts of the Holy Ghost in regard to helps. That's a great gift of the Holy Ghost. Some people, the Holy Ghost has gifted them. They just know how to help. And that is a real gift of the Holy Ghost. But it seems that people that are off-center, they just want to emphasize what we call sign gifts. Now, you can take all of these gifts of the Holy Ghost and you can divide them into three categories. There are speaking gifts. There are serving gifts. And there are sign gifts. If you took all the gifts of the Spirit in both these chapters and you... Reviewed all of them. You could put all of them in one of those categories. And it seems, and the charismatic movement is an emphasis on the sign gifts. And the reason we call them sign gifts is because God calls them sign gifts. And they have a very, they had a very uh, specific purpose that they were given. Now, if someone feels or believes that all the gifts are still here, then they're then they're they're not biblically educated because one of those gifts is the gift of being an apostle. 
There are no apostles today because an apostle had to literally see Jesus Christ. There's nobody alive and nobody been alive for a long time that's an apostle. When somebody, if somebody stands up and says, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, you need to go the other way. Because he says, we tried those that say they are apostles early in the book of Revelation, found them they're not. Because if you're an apostle, it's easy to prove whether or not you're an apostle because apostles could raise the dead. There's nobody been able to raise the dead since the apostles died. You know, and there's, there's only 12 named apostles. They're on the, uh, the name of the city there. It's not like it was a, a group of 500, 600 people. Very, very select group of men that had saw, had seen the Lord and had walked with the Lord and had, so all of these gifts were not available to the church for the expanse of the church. As a matter of fact, the reason that I started reading verse 12 and 13 is, he shows all these different gifts. One guy's got this. One guy's got this. Another guy's got a different gift. And by the way, if you're saved, God's gifted you to do something in the body of Christ. That doesn't mean that you can, that, that you, maybe you're gifted musically or you're gifted to teach. But maybe, maybe you have, maybe you have a gift of faith. What is that? Well, we're not going to preach on the gifts tonight, but. You know, some people have a lot more faith than others. You know, if everybody was pessimistic, it would be a bad body. Somebody's got to have faith. We can do it. And somebody has to have that, that gift to the Lord to just look at everything in a, in a, in a way of faith and hope. And there's so many, some people have wisdom. I tell you what, you know what some Christians are? They're listening to the wrong part of the body. He says he gave to, to one the word of wisdom. You know, everybody in this church is not something you need, not somebody you need to listen to for wisdom. That doesn't mean we're not brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just that God doesn't give all of us the equal amount of wisdom. There are some people he gives a load of wisdom to. You may think this is stupid, but I don't. Brother Gibson called me. I was somewhere else on the road. He said, Preacher, the the urinal's not working. I've done everything I do. I brought men in here, and, and we can't get the urinal fixed in the fellowship hall. You know what I said? I said, call Brother Morris. You know why? He's got a gift of wisdom. You say, how do you know that? I've learned that in six years. I've learned he can just figure things out. You say, no, that's just smart. I don't believe so. I believe that God let some people in the body have just a gift that other people don't have. And, and here's the problem. People want the other person's gift. I've told you before. Everybody, God didn't want everybody, everybody in here to sing. He wants everybody in here to sing in, in congregation. He didn't want everybody to sing right here. He didn't want everybody to teach. Everybody's different. And it's okay. It's all right. The charismatic people want to emphasize the sign gifts. And so he says, we are all in the body. But we all don't have the same gifts. And so at the end of chapter 12, would you look at it? He says, in verse 28, he starts talking about these gifts again. 
He says, God has set some in the church first, apostles, secondary prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, governments, diversities of tongues. Are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets? The answer is no. Are all teachers? The answer is no. Are all workers of miracles? The answer is no. <laughs> Have all the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues? No. The answer to every one of these questions is no. So the charismatics, back when they were big time, they said that everybody that's saved, you need to speak in tongues. Well, he just told you, we're all in the body, but we all don't do that. So, so to quit trying to tell everybody that they need to do something that God says everybody doesn't do anyway. So all of us have the Holy Ghost, but all of us don't have all of these gifts. Does that make sense? We've got to just, just make a little foundation here. We all have the Holy Ghost, but we all don't have every one of these gifts. That's what he said in the text. Which, that is also important because they'll say, well, if you didn't speak in tongues, you don't have the Holy Ghost. That's, that's wrong. That's not what he said. Matter of fact, anybody that ever says that to you, and you may not, you say, preacher, I may not ever talk to a charismatic the rest of my life. Well, at least you know what, need to know what the Bible says and what the answers are. If they say, well, you need to speak in tongues because you need the Holy Ghost. You know what you need to say? Do you think Jesus had the Holy Ghost? The answer is yes, right? He never spoke in tongues. John the Baptist was filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. That's about as much as you can get. And he never spoke in tongues. So you can't equate the Holy Ghost and having the Holy Ghost with speaking in tongues or one or two or three of these gifts. That, that's, that's unbiblical. That's not what God is saying in the text of Scripture. And it's plain if anybody just read, read the chapter. Matter of fact, the real, the real evidence of whether or not that you're filled with the Holy Ghost doesn't have anything to do with tongues. There are two places in the Bible that says, if you're filled with the Holy Ghost, this is true about you. And you know what one of them is? It's singing. If you're filled with the Holy Ghost, he said, he said you'll be speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody heart to the Lord. When you get filled with the Holy Ghost, you sing. By the way, you know, I can tell when we have a church full of people that are filled with the Holy Ghost or you're empty. All I have to do is listen to you sing. Holy Ghost filled people want to sing. You know what's so strange about a song service? Nowhere else in society except a concert, a rock concert of some kind, do people sing. You have never gone to a PTA meeting and they say, let's all sing a few songs. They don't do that. That would be weird. Nobody goes to the courtroom and says, all right, before we have court today, let's just sing a few songs. You don't do that. Political gatherings. I mean, they may have the, the, the band playing or they may have somebody else singing, but they don't just stop and say, hey, let's just all sing a while. You, it don't matter if it's a Trump rally or a Democrat rally. It don't matter what it is. They're not going to do that. They're not going to sing. That's a weird, that's a strange thing to do. Would you not agree? But every time we meet together, you know, it is, let's, let's just sing. But guys, it's not supposed to be a plastic thing. It's supposed to be something that's coming out of a spirit-filled heart. So maybe our song service would be so much more real 
and so much more beneficial and so much more special if we would sing as we if we would come in here filled with the Holy Ghost. Hey guys, look, I love you, but I'm not dumb. All of you tonight, you ain't filled with the Holy Ghost. That doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means you're not filled. You could be filled with anger. You could be filled with bitterness. You could be filled with care. All I know is an evidence of being filled with the Holy Ghost, you can't help but sing. Yeah. I was in the, I wasn't going to say anything about it. I was in the endodontist chair today getting a root canal. (laughs) And after I confessed everything I knew to confess, (laughs) I never had a root canal before. Boy, I'm confessing it, brother. I mean, God, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm wicked. I'll make up things to confess. Amen. I want to be right. And after I did all that, I, I did, well, of course, your, your mouth's open and all that. In my heart, you know what I'm doing? I just started singing hymns. He got the drill out, you know, and I'm, I'm, start, I'm just singing. <laughs> ready to go, ready to stay. <laughs> ready my place to fill. <laughs> I'm singing, I'm singing hymn after hymn. You know, singing reveals things that are in our hearts. And the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is not some charismatic deal. It's you have a song. And the other evidence, biblically, is you want to be a witness. In Acts chapter 1, he said, you know, You'll receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses. Now, let me ask you. If we grade ourselves tonight on our fullness quotient, and the evidence of it is our singing and our witnessing, how full are we? See, here's the problem. We can beat up on the charismatics for being crazy people and being biblically illiterate and all that. But really, what that is a reaction to is dead religion. That that doesn't mean it's right. It doesn't mean it's biblical. It doesn't mean it's correct. It doesn't mean it's not just emotionalism. But it is a reaction to somebody that doesn't want to just go to church and and it have nothing to do with the Spirit of God. It's a hunger for the Spirit of God, even if it's misplaced. So I would say this. A good thing to protect us from being deceived in those things is to have a real relationship with the Holy Ghost, really be filled, and we can grade ourselves, okay? How singing were you today? How witnessing were you today? Yeah. Hmm. If we measure our church by that, we probably need to spend some time at the altar and pray for some fullness. And I'm not not saying just because you witness, you're filled with the Spirit of God. But if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you will witness. I'm not saying just because you sing, you're filled with the Spirit of God. I'm just saying if you're filled with the Spirit, you will want to sing. It doesn't matter if it's in your car, in the pew, or in the shower. Amen. So these gifts of the Spirit, all believers have, have the Spirit of God, but all of us don't have all of these gifts. Now, second thing I want you to see in the text, in chapter 12. Not only are all believers baptized by the Holy Ghost, and yet all believers do not speak in tongues or do work, do miracles. 
or have the gifts of healing. He says in verse 31, the last verse of chapter 12, when discussing these things, so important, he says, he says, but covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet I, and let, yet show I unto you a more excellent way. He says, there's something, there's a better way. There's something better than having any one of these gifts. There's something more important. There's something more excellent. He says, as a matter of fact, I want you to have the best gifts. As a matter of fact, when you look at the best gifts, and we'll see it in just a minute if we can get to it uh, in, in chapter 14, the best gifts are not going to be those of tongues or healing because those are listed last in the list. They're not the best ones. They're the last ones. It would be just like carnal people to emphasize the last things instead of the first things. But what is this better way? Verse 31 says... Covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. If we, if we had, you know, and, and this is something that's been popular before in the church, and I'm not against it, but going through all the spiritual gifts, and let's all analyze it and find out which gift we have. And, and I even did that as young pastor. I said, all right, let's all find out what our gifts are, and let's plug them in and use them in the body of Christ. And, and that's, that's okay. But you know what Paul says? He says there's something more important. There's something that's more excellent. There's something that's better than you just figuring out all this gift stuff. You know what it is? It's the next chapter. The more excellent way is charity. <laughs> because you can, you can speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And if you don't have charity, you're zero with the line rubbed out. And you can have all the gifts of prophecy. And you can have all the doctrine right. And you can know everything you're supposed to know. And figure out all the gifts and do all the dispensations. But if you are not a Christian that lives by charity, then it really doesn't matter what gift you have. It's a better way. It's a better way to live the Christian life. Probably what I should do is just skip over the rest of what I was going to say and just start reading chapter 13. <laughs> Charity's kind. Amen. That's not a gift. That's you living the Christian life the way God wants you to live. And you don't have to have any special ability to be kind. You don't have to have any special ability to suffer long. You don't have any you don't have to have any special ability not to, to make sure you're not puffed up. That is the Christian life. That definitely is not the charismatic life. That's the Christian life. So, the second thing I want to tell you is, though all believers have the Holy Ghost, we all don't have the same gifts, that there is a better, more excellent way, and that is just a life of charity. Now, go to chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14. Chapter 14, verse 1 says, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. He says, all right. I want you to live your life after living a charitable life. If you'll just live after charity, that's what I want you to follow. It's really following Jesus. I think Jesus' character is manifested in 1 Corinthians 13. I think that's what that is. That's the character of Jesus Christ. He says, I want you to follow after charity 
desire spiritual gifts, but rather that you may prophesy. Okay, he says, if, if you want one gift, if you're after a gift that's better than others, then go for prophecy. Prophecy. What is prophecy? Well, prophecy, look at verse 5. Or excuse me, verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth himself, but he that prophesieth edifieth the church. I would, I would that ye all spake with tongues, but rather that ye prophesied, watch your Bible, for greater is he that prophesieth than he that speaketh with tongues, except he interpret that the church may receive edifying. So this prophesying, prophesying can be foretelling or it can be foretelling. And if we foretell the future, we're all foretelling it within the context finds of the prophecy of this book. It's not like God just gave us some supernatural extra biblical revelation. Our prophecy is in this prophecy of this book. And he says when we prophesy the word of God, when we preach the word of God, what we're doing is so much better than these other gifts because other people are getting edified. And what does that mean? They're getting built up. They're learning when you come to church, you ought to learn something. You ought to be uh, made a better Christian. It ought to build you up upon your faith. It ought to show you something that you, about Jesus Christ that will help you in your life. That's the purpose of prophesying. The purpose of tongues. Look at verse 4. He that speaketh in an unknown tongue edifieth who? <laughs> do, do you see the futility of somebody that would want to talk about tongues? Somebody's talking about tongues. They're only edifying their self. They're not helping anybody else. It's all about me. It's not about you. And he says, look, forget about you. Start edifying the church. Help the church. Isn't that why we're supposed to be here anyway? We want to help the church. We want to edify the church. I would rather check out right now and go down the road if if I couldn't help the church, if I couldn't edify the church. Because I'm not here for me. I'm not here, it's not, it's not, it's not about me being edified. Do you see that? How many people go to the modern liberal church to edify someone else? No! They go to the modern liberal church for themselves to be edified. Oh, it just feels so good. It's just wonderful. I like it. But that, that's not, that's not the purpose of church. The purpose of the church is for others to be edified, not me, and for Jesus to be glorified. It's not about me and what I want. And so he says, and by the way, that's why modern liberal churches, they do not emphasize the preaching of the Word of God. Have you noticed? There's a lot of music, and then there's a little sermonette from a preacherette. That probably smoked a cigarette. I heard that a long time ago. I don't know if that's true, but anyway. There's not emphasis on the preaching. If it's an emphasis on self, it's a it's a proud thing. And so drop down to verse 19 of chapter 14. He says, This is an amazing verse. 1 Corinthians 14, 19. Yet in the church I had rather speak five words. <laughs> With my understanding that by my voice I might teach others, then ten thousand words in an unknown tongue. That's 
that is a that is a multiplier of two thousand. That means preaching. Listen, preaching is two thousand times better than tongues. Now, if you boil that down into math, it would be this: it would be thirty seconds. Thirty seconds of preaching is as valuable as 16 hours of tongue speaking. Does that not put things in perspective? So why aren't we talking more about preaching? And why is preaching dying? And why is preaching out of style? And why is opening up the Scripture and expounding it something that people aren't interested in? If it's 10,000 words to five... What an illustration. And he says here, this pride that's coming out. Drop down to verse 11. He says, therefore, if I know not the meaning of the voice, I shall be unto him that speaketh a barbarian. (laughs) And he that speaketh shall be a barbarian. God says this, if if people don't know what you're talking about, they're going to think you're a barbarian. That's exactly what I think. You've lost your mind. Maybe you're mad. Maybe you've literally gone insane. Look at verse 23. You think I'm, I'm still in the context. He said, verse 23, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say ye are that ye're mad? You people are crazy. There's a good definition. There's a good illustration of the charismatic movement. It looks crazy. The Old Testament called it peeping and muttering. Isaiah 8, 19. People that were full of the devil, they were seeking after wizards and familiar spirits. They would peep and mutter. Words that were unintelligible. It's a sign of devil possession. Uh, Babblings. Did not Jesus warn about vain repetition? You know the the people that speak in tongues, they just memorize these little, little sounds and they just say them over and over again. The Lord says don't, don't use vain repetition. Don't repeat things over and over again. And that's good for us as Baptists too, you know. You don't have to say the Lord's name 50 times when you pray a five-minute prayer. Okay, that's free, but anyway. God does not want us just to repeat things. Now, sometimes you're nervous, you repeat things, we get it. But just speak from your heart. And so these tongue speakers, he says in verse 20, Brethren, be not children in understanding. You see the condemnation. Howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. He says, y'all need to grow up. Verse 38, but if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. He's really, he's giving them a, 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 a rebuke about their ignorance and their anger and their child, childlike immaturity with the things of God. And that was Corinth. They, they were a carnal church. Now he says, "These tongues, if they're going to be if they're going to be spoken, they have to be accompanied by an interpreter." Verse thirteen: 
Wherefore, let him that speaketh in an unknown tongue pray that he may interpret. You say, well, if, if, it's, a, if it's a language that people know, which it is, that's what a tongue is, why does he not understand it? Why does he have to pray for the interpretation of it? Now, now this is important now. If you find a charismatic that's really on, his, on the top of the things in his Bible, he'll say, well, if, if you go to, matter of fact, hold your finger here. We've got time. Go to Acts chapter 2. You've just got to see it. Tongues in the Bible are languages, okay? That's, they're, they're just languages. And, and that's what God defines them to be. But now we've got, to, we've got to answer this question. Why is this person praying that they may have the understanding to interpret the tongue they're speaking? That, that's, there's a, an answer for that, but we need to look at it. Acts chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 3, And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire, and, and it sat upon each of them. Verse 4, They were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues. The Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. And when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own. Say it. Seven. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in his own what? Tongue. Wherein we were what? Born. And then he lists all the different tongues. Verse 11. Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our what? Tongues. So the gift of tongues is speaking in a language. You say, well, what's the gift there? And why is the guy in chapter 14 having to pray for the understanding? It would be like me going to China and God dropping me there and I walk amen, down Beijing, uh, downtown Beijing and start preaching in Chinese and I don't know a word of it. That's the gift. I'm speaking in a language I've never studied. I'm speaking in a language I don't know. If I start speaking to you in Romanian tonight, I've studied that. I know that. You don't know that. I don't have to pray for the interpretation because I have the understanding of it. But if I was given a spiritual gift of tongues, I don't even have to know the language. You say, why is he doing that? To spread the gospel around the world so people don't have to go to language school and the world go to hell while they're trying to learn it. He's spreading the gospel. He's spreading the message of Jesus all across the planet in the early church. And they didn't have deputation and they didn't have language school. They wasn't time for that. The Holy Ghost gave them the gift and they spoke in all these different languages that they had no idea what they were. It was a miracle. And that continued on in the early church. Go to 1 Corinthians 14 again. So it's unknown, it's an unknown tongue, but it's an unknown to some, to somebody that's not learned it. It's not unknown to God. <laughs> and it's not unknown to every person on the planet. It's unknown to the people in the building. It's unknown to the speaker possibly. But you say, why, why would God do that? Look at verse uh, 22. 1 Corinthians 14, 22. Wherefore, tongues are for a what? Okay. Now, that, that's a sign gift, you see. That's what we started with this. 
And 1 Corinthians, same book, chapter 1, verse 22, said the Jews require a sign. Now, what happened with the gospel? God said, take it to the Jew, what? First. And also to the, to the Greek. So they're trying to reach Jews first of all. Well, Jews require a sign. They had to know. They're not going to believe you Gentiles are of God. Well, if you start doing these miracle, miraculous things, it proves to them it's a sign for them. Wherefore, tongues are for a sign. Watch it. Not to them that believe. They're not, tongues weren't even for believers. They weren't even for the church. Tongues are for a sign, not to them that believe, watch it, but to them that, what does it say? Believe not. Look, you see all these flags? These are all different languages. When God came down and confused the languages at the Tower of Babel, which is like babbling, all these languages now, it's going, it's going to take a lot to get the Bible and preaching into these languages. And so the Spirit of God gave gifts. Now, that's a sign gift. Well, God's not dealing with the Jewish people to give them a sign anymore. He's, he's dealing with the world. Now there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's just Jesus. <laughs> God's not trying to focus on one nation. He's, just, he's, he's focusing on the whole world. But in the early church, that wasn't so. So they proved to these Jewish people that they were of God by these signs and miracles which were done. But it was for the gospel to be given to these people in these different languages. Now, let, let me hurry. I'll give you this and we'll be done tonight. I'll give you seven quick rules of tongues. Okay. Now, I'll give you this because... This is what you can give anybody that tries to say, well, I believe in speaking in tongues. And then you can say, all right, do you practice these seven rules? Because, you know, this is strange. God don't put any rules on charity. He just says live this way. But he says, okay, this, this tongues gift, I'm going to have to have rules for this. Because you people are going to get out of whack with it. Here are the rules. Verse 27, 1 Corinthians 14, 27. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two or at most by three, and that by course, and let one interpret. So rule number one, only three people can speak in tongues in a service. Well, that immediately destroys the charismatic movement. I mean, they're, all, they're hopping up like bunny rabbits all over the building. Verse 27 again. If any man, I'm not being unkind, I'm telling the truth. If any man speak in an unknown tongue, let it be by two, or at the most by three, and that by course. Okay, rule number two. They gotta wait their turn till the other one's finished. You have never seen that a day in your life in the last 50 years. Alright, here. Nope, you gotta wait your turn. Me first. There's only three of us tonight, but I'm one, I'm number one. That's the rule! Alright, rule number three. He says in verse 27, in the verse, let one interpret. So somebody has to interpret what's being said. It has to be interpreted. In other words, you can't just get up and speak in tongues and sit down. That's, that's not allowed. Somebody has got to tell everybody what you just said in Swahili. So that we can all know what was just said. Because we can't say amen to something we don't know what you said. Matter of fact, I said the charismatic one time, we were over... 
And, and bless their heart, they were so convinced. I was in Romania, and this, this lady was so devoted. I, I tried to talk with her, and I said, ma'am, you don't know what you're saying when you're speaking in an unknown tongue. I said, you may be blaspheming the Holy Ghost and not know it. And she stopped. That got her. Because she knew she didn't know what she was saying. And if she was really speaking another, another language, how do you know that you didn't just curse God? So it has to be interpreted. All right, look at verse 34. Let your women keep silence in the churches. For it is not permitted unto them to speak. But they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. It, it, did I read the Bible? Now, wait a minute. What is the context? Are we saying, is God saying, that whenever female walks to the doors, that they're not allowed to say hello? No. Because God tells us to be courteous. That's also in the Bible. What is the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 14? Speaking in tongues and prophesying. So women are not allowed. What a terrible misogynistic God. That's what the world would say. How dare you? God can do it. He can put any rule he wants to put in the Bible. And the charismatic movement has always been a movement pushed by. It's, it's not pastor. It's pastor and pastor Jan. It's always these dual husband wife pastor things. That's out of hell. That is not the will of God. So that's a rule. Well, God led me. God don't lead you to go against the rules. <laughs> well, the Spirit just got over me and I just... Nope. He wouldn't do that. That must have been another Spirit because the Holy Ghost don't lead you to break the rules. <laughs> Verse 32. 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-two, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. Here's another rule. The person has to be in control of themselves. They're not out of control. You see that? The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. God will never have you get out of control. He's trying to get you under control. He didn't have you so out of control that you flop on the floor and jerk like a, a fish or somebody that's got some epileptic problem. God does not get you out of control. He puts you under control. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. As heavy as the Holy Ghost has got on me before in preaching, I have never been out of control with what I'm saying. And when people get so emotional they get out of control, God's not in five miles of it. It's those people, it's that, remember that guy that brought his kid to Jesus and he was devil possessed and he's asking the Lord to get the devil out of him and when, when he walked up to the Lord, he, he flopped down on the ground started, remember that? That's what the devil does to people. He causes them to get out of control. Hmm. And by the way, you don't have to be a charismatic to be out of control. There's a lot of people out of control. And maybe a sign of the devil getting hold of your life is you're just out of control. Yeah. Verse 33. For God is not the author of confusion. I love that verse. 
but of peace as in all churches of the saints. If anything is confusing, it's forbidden. You see that? God never brings confusion. That's almost one good way of discernment in our lives. If something is of God, if something is just confusing, that's not the way He works. It's not the way God works. God will convict you, but He's not going to confuse you. Do you know the difference between that? There's a lot of people that have been confused, that thought God was working their heart, but, but it's not confusion, it's conviction. Conviction is, I know I'm wrong. I know I'm going to hell. Confusion is, I don't know. Am I? Am I not? Am I? Am I not? I'm confused. God, God didn't do that. God will either say, you're lost, or you're saved. He's not going to say, how do you feel now? He's not trying to confuse us. And any, we don't want any confusion in the church. We, we, want, we want peace. And so a carnal church had to be warned about these rules. If it's confusing, then stop it. That, that's a good test. It really is. And then I'll finish verse 37. <clears throat> verse 37 says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual. <laughs> Paul says, if you think you're spiritual, I won't say something to you. Look at it. If you think you're spiritual. If any man think himself to be a prophet. If you think you're called to preach. <laughs> I want to say something to you. Man. Do y'all, y'all read the Bible or am I the only one seeing something there? There's a lot of people that think a lot of things that are earning 500 miles from the truth. <laughs> if any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual. Let him acknowledge that the things that I write unto you are the commandments of the Lord. What a statement. If you think you're spiritual, if you're a core priest, then you will agree with what I just said. Because this is straight from the commandment of God. And then he says, if any man be ignorant, let him be ignorant. I think, I think Paul was probably the most sarcastic man that you had ever heard preach. If you're ignorant, just stay ignorant. (laughs) I don't know how well he would do today. 